Good morning, Fullerton. Here are your headlines for the week of July 25th. Number one, City offers senior taxi transportation services. Fulton offers no-cost and or subsidized transportation options for residents ages 60+. The Senior Mobility Program is provided in partnership with the Orange County Transportation Authority and California Yellow Cab. For more information, visit FullertonCommunityCenter.com or call 714-738-6575. That's 714-738-6575. Number 2. Council to Consider Inclusionary Housing in order to address the housing affordability crisis in Fullerton, City Council voted 3-2, Whitaker and Dunlap no, at their July 5th meeting to direct staff to bring back more information about creating an inclusionary housing ordinance, a policy tool that requires or encourages private developers to include a percentage of below-market-rate affordable units, create off-site affordable units, or to pay a fee. According to a staff report, inclusionary zoning works to capture some of the value of rising real estate prices to provide community benefits by using local land use controls to ensure that developers produce needed affordable housing units along with market rate units and that the city utilizes the limited supply of developable land in a way that serves households at all income levels. Cities have options for how their inclusionary housing ordinance could be tailored. The staff report recommended hiring a consultant to help to determine which kind of program would work best for Fullerton and do a fiscal analysis of the proposed program. Orange County cities ha that have inclusionary housing ordinances include Brea, Huntington Beach, Irvine, La Habra, Santa Ana, and San Clemente. Each city created their program to meet their needs of the community. Number 3. Local Youth Hold Protests for Abortion Rights with the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade, the landmark Supreme Court decision that granted women the right to safe and accessible abortions, citizens of Fulton protested in front of City Hall on July 16 to express their anger over this recent ruling. The organization Melanated Youth, founded by high schoolers Asha Jones and Chloe Serrano, organized this protest in an effort to empower residents to express their outrage over the Supreme Court's decision. The protesters took to the streets and held up handmade signs that expressed their views on the abrogation of abortion access. People from many different backgrounds and ages were present, and many honked their cars in support. Powerful slogans were broadcasted through megaphones such as, Bans off our bodies, and they say no choice, we say pro-choice. The first 40 minutes were spent chanting into the streets and raising the collective voices of the pro-choice community. Number 4. Low Income Water Assistant Program Helps Pay Bills the Low Income Household Water Assistant Program offers a one-time payment to help you pay your past due water or wastewater bills. The size of a benefit varies depending on the past due balance of the household's residential water and wastewater bills. In addition, program participation is limited to households receiving services from water and wastewater providers enrolled in the program. Households that qualify could reduce their water or wastewater charges by up to $2,000. If you are struggling to afford your water or wastewater bills, visit csd.ca.gov slash waterbill. Alrighty, that is it for today's headlines. Journalists behind these stories are Jesse Latour and Isha Salman. Next up, we have an interview with Judith Kalusny. So today on the Observing Fulton podcast, we are interviewing Judith Kalusny. 
Judith has uh, practiced family law in Fullerton from 1976 till 2020. She is a staff writer for the Fulton Observer and had roots in journalism earlier in her career in Wisconsin. Recently, Judith has released a marriage license handbook that is a comprehensive guide on what marriage is legally, what consequences might occur from the current laws on marriage and divorce, and how to prepare yourself better as a couple before you tie the knot. Our interview today with Judith uh, will focus on her career as a lawyer as a mediator, a journalist, and a writer. All right, so let's get right into the questions. Um, so you were a housewife for 17 years, and you have yes. seven kids, right? Yes. Um, what made you transition to going to law school in 1973? Oh, the fact that my then-husband filed for divorce. Uh-oh. And, um, and I, at that time, my children were going to community open school, and we had a carpool. And one of my carpool pals was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I had not ever had a full-time job, and I did not have a college degree. So I said, Anita, what am I going to do? And she said, you can go to law school. And I said, without a degree? She said, sure, go to Western State. And I thought, okay. (laughs) I had looked into um, uh, going to a four-year college, Mm -hmm. but the only thing I was interested in was journalism. And the guidance counselor said, no jobs, no money in journalism. And I would have had to go at least two years anyway. So I thought, three years, I'll have a doctor's degree, mm-hmm. a doctor of jurisprudence. Plus, um, when going through court, uh, my husband's lawyer brought up the fact that I had applied for law school. And so the judge says, well, it's admirable of you to want to better yourself, but there's not enough money to go around, so you have to go to work. And I thought, you know, what am I doing now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> With seven children, That's not that wasn't counted as work. Mm-hmm. In any case, so I went to law school full-time and got through it. And I started in family law because those were the people who called me. A lot of women at that time were looking for women lawyers. So I just I did a few other cases <clears throat> early on, but uh, I finally just concentrated on family law, and those were the clients that came to me. So it was more by the demand that yes. was there at that time. Yes, yes, yes. So what got you interested in mediation? mediation? I um, a, a woman I knew who um, was an expert in domestic violence. She got her PhD writing a a dissertation on domestic violence, but she was a sociologist. And there's no money as a sociologist unless you're a professor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she she took a class in mediation and she asked me to be her attorney consultant. Um, And so it was so interesting. I finally just sitting sat in on the whole set mediation sessions with her, and then I started taking mediation training. And after a time, I mean, family law is so disastrous. Mm. Um, I just gave up litigation and did only family law mediation. So you've been doing that. You did that from late nineteen. 1970s. I think in nineteen eighty six is when I started with mediation. And you did that until 2020? Yes. That's a very long career in mediation. Yes. Well, I didn't quit the litigation instantly, but mm-hmm. by the mid-90s, I would say I had given up the litigation. Right. So all of this experience from litigation and mediation kind of culminated itself into this book, right? Yes. 
So um, the marriage license handbook, you know, it, it covers how you can be best prepared legally before getting married. Yes. And becoming more informed about the laws in California that right. can affect you. What is your hope for a handbook like this? Like, how can couples use this in the best way? Well, they could use it for discussions to more explore their relationship before they fall into any disasters in marriage. For example, what about debts? Uh, are you going to live on a budget? Uh, well, those are some of the things to think about when you're doing a... a I, I suggest strongly a premarital agreements because it's not just about money, you know, like if one has a lot of money and the other doesn't. That's what people think of when they think of prenups. But that's not the total picture. Um, and I believe that if people sit down to and, and have talks about these kinds of lifetime issues, uh, what are your goals in life? You know, they'll get to know each other a little more and maybe before they tie the knot, they'll find out the things that they don't like and they will find out that marriage is not a good idea. <laughs> so. So it's a, and if, if it goes well, then they will have a better, more solid marriage. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes I, I've done mediation to stay married. Mm -hmm. And uh, one case was a couple that uh, husband loved his wife dearly, but she had become a spendthrift and he was really nervous about debts she would run up. And so we worked out an arrangement for them to separate their finances so that he would not be responsible for her debts, even though they were still married. So th there's a California law, well, let's put it this way, as one writer said, there's a prenup that the state provides for you if you don't write your own. Mm -hmm. So this, you can change the state law by writing an agreement, signing it, dating it. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have to have it notarized, but, uh, but in writing, you can change what the state law provides. And you can set your own rules in your marriage? Yes, yes. Another couple, um, bef this was a prenuptial mediation. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were concerned because they were going to be living with wife's parents. She was already living with them. Mm -hmm. And she was paying the mortgage as rent to her parents. Now, when they got married, her money, her earnings would be community property. Mm -hmm. Therefore, if she used her community property earnings to make payments on the house, that would give the house a community interest. Mm -hmm. And they both agreed that they did not want to get a community interest in her parents' house. Mm -hmm. So we did an agreement to make that happen. Right, so these are some of the cases, well, one of them was after getting married, and one yes. of them was before, so that means you can write an agreement after you've gotten married as well? Yes, yes. I had a client for a divorce one time, uh, a businesswoman. She had a very successful business. Mm -hmm. She had established 11 years before. And uh, she said she had consulted with a lawyer because when she was starting the business because she had wanted that to be her separate property. The lawyer said, oh, no, it has to be community property. Bad advice. Mm -hmm. She and her husband could have had a written agreement that her business would be her sole and separate property no matter what. So had, had she known this before that got to divorce part, they could have changed it during the marriage. Right. You can write postnups. Mm -hmm. as well as prenups.
Right, and this book kind of has all of that information yes, in it in, yes. in a very easy to read manner. You know, oh, you thank can you. read the yes. whole thing in <laughs> less than an hour. Yes, one woman said to me, "Oh, this is so handy. You can carry it in your purse." Exactly. I did. Uh, I did. Um, uh, I took a table, a booth at a at a uh, marriage expo, a wedding mm-hmm. expo, and uh, some of the women came with their mothers, and one mother grabbed the book and said. I'm going to get this for my daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and somebody else said, oh, this would be a great uh, a shower gift. <laughs> right. So while we were on the topic of wedding expos, you know, people intending to get married are very focused on party celebrations. Yes. You know, the planning side yes. of the, the, yes. mar- the wedding itself. Um, it's a very lucrative industry, but... According to the handbook, uh, when I was reading it, I realized that you kind of emphasized that there are more important things that people need to prepare for when they get married. Yes. Um, what are some of the most common issues that can arise legally when couples are trying to either uh, divorce or nullify their marriage or they have children and then they're separating? You know, What are some of the common things you see? Oh, uh, um, well, first of all, the, the state of California sets people up for hostility in a divorce. And if, um, if they're used to negotiating and bargaining with things, and I think the, the handbook gets a couple into the mood for discussions and being free and open with each other. You know, a, a divorce is just another form of a contract. Mm. However, it's also like a wedding, it's lucrative. <laughs> so, um, for other people, right, and uh, so I think the the handbook will will highlight issues so you're clear on whose property is what, so you don't have to go into fighting about this is my separate property. You will, I mean, like some of the issues are um, husband owned a house before they got married, and 20 years later they're getting a divorce. Meantime, the house has got. A community interest because the payments have been made with community earnings. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how much is he entitled to as his separate property before marriage? Mm-hmm. So if you didn't establish that at the time you got married, what the house was worth, then you're going to spend a lot of money with, uh, with appraisers who have to figure out what it was worth 20 years ago. Right. And because when you do own... Uh, a piece of separate property when you get married, for instance, a house, or money that you put as a down payment on a house that you buy jointly, you're entitled to get that back in a divorce. So um, if you know that ahead of time, you can make plans, even though you stay together, at least you'll feel comfortable knowing what the basis of your relationship is financially. Right, and that financial aspect can really also ruin the marriage. So I think if you know in the beginning, you get the sandbook or you just have that discussion. Yes, I think I've read that money is the main problem in marriages. Mm -hmm. Disagreements over money. Wow. So if you get that figured out by writing an agreement beforehand, then you can avoid a lot of those problems. Like, do you want to live on a budget? You Mm -hmm. know, who's going to take care of paying the bills? Right. I can remember during my marriage, my husband was paying the bills, and he was this kind of person that just got into a horrible 
state of rage and anger in paying people money. And so there he'd be sitting there, you know, cursing and suffering, and, and I just got so fed up with that. I said, give me the bills, let me write them. I couldn't stand the, the, the emotional aspect of it. <laughs> so who's going to pay the bills? Mm-hmm. Of course, I always think that you should include who's going to clean the toilets, but uh, I don't think if you had a prenup that had that in there, <laughs> a, a judge would look kindly on that. <laughs> but, but basically what you're saying is you need to have those conversations before and get everything figured out Yes, you enter uh, that contract. For example, religion. I mean, mm-hmm. not just the financial aspects, but is religion important to you? Right. Or or are you willing to talk about sex? You know, is that a subject you can talk about? Um, what about children? Do you want to have children? If if you have children, what are your attitudes on raising children? Mm-hmm. Uh, those all those suggestions and lists are in the handbook, as yeah. well as the financial legal aspects of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the handbook is a very comprehensive guide. Um, and you've done a really good job writing it, by the way. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so you've had this kind of career as a lawyer and a mediator, um, but then you kind of stepped back into, while you were still a lawyer, into journalism with The Observer. Um, well, I, you know, the two are very similar. Mm-hmm. What I learned in journalism school was uh, at Marquette University. I never graduated, but I learned a lot. Uh, was that you don't have to know but 5% of everything. Mm -hmm. You have to know how to find out the other 95%. And law is the same way. You just have to know, you know, 5% of it, but where to find out the rest of it. That's what legal research is all about. Mm -hmm. So I find them similar in those ways. Right. So doing journalism and law together you know, did that ever present some sort of a conflict to you between the two fields, or do you think they complement each other really well? No, they're both about writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, lawyers do a lot of writing. Right. And, and journalists. Uh, and, oh, I had cli- I did an awful lot of domestic violence cases. Mm. Uh, well, actually, before I was out, of, while I was still in law school, I was on the board of directors of the third shelter for battered women okay. in this country. It was also the third in California. So a lot of uh, battered women were my clients. Mm-hmm. And I would write declarations for them to, in order for them to, get, uh, to go to a judge to get restraining orders. And women would say, wow, you write it as if you were right there. So being a good writer is good for both journalism and law, right. especially family law. And, and you definitely do a good job at that as well. And, and, and I was not a full-time journalist while I was lawyering. Mm-hmm. You know, I would write articles that, that uh, came to my attention, especially uh, since I lived in downtown Fullerton, I wrote a lot of articles about downtown Fullerton because mm-hmm. I was here. <laughs> so briefly in the handbook, one thing that I noticed was that you mentioned your ultimate goal of overthrowing the family law system. Uh, yes. Could you explain that? <laughs> Well, I think that the family law system as it exists in California is a fraud on the public. Mm -hmm. Um, For one thing, uh, when we got no-fault divorce Mm -hmm. back in the 70s, um, the family law commission appointed by Governor Brown I said, we want this to be a non-adversary process. 
So it was taken out of the civil law and made into a special branch called family law. Mm -hmm. So now there's family law, civil law, and criminal law. Mm -hmm. And uh, except that when you file for a divorce, you fill out a petition and you sign the petition. And there's a summons that goes with the petition. And um, the it's not called plaintiff and defendant. Now it's called petitioner and respondent. Okay. It's supposed to sound more nicer. Mm -hmm. And except that at the top of the summons, it says to the respondent, and then the name is typed in. And then there's a black box right under that person's name that says, you have been sued. <laughs> And this is hardly the start of a non-adversary process. <laughs> so on, on the divorce petition, it says you have been sued? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. You know, I, what, what anybody's idea of non-adversary includes that, I don't know. In any case, and the other amazing statistic, the, ju <clears throat> the Judicial Council are the people that run the courts of California. And they uh, report statistics. And I was reading their statistics a year or two ago, and I saw that uh, they noted that 365,000 um, divorces had been completed in the state of California that year. Mm -hmm. And out of those 365,000, 1,300 and some were concluded with a trial in front of a judge. Mm -hmm. That's fewer than 1% of the people mm -hmm. have a judge decide the, their divorce. The, um, the um, process is so grinds people down that they are kind of coerced into settlements before their case gets to court. And the other thing the Judicial Council did was uh, they did a survey one year on um, what the citizens expect or want from their courts. They did a survey in regard to civil courts and criminal and small claims and family law. The people responding to family law said they want a chance to tell their story and they want a fair process. Mm -hmm. And they don't get either one. They do not get either one. How so? Could you describe that a bit well, more in detail? Well, if, if, to tell your story, you tell it to your lawyer, and you pay him or her for their time in listening. And then they tell it to the other lawyer. That's another cost. The judge doesn't want to hear it. The other part is, is the fair process. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a young man working for me that was going through divorce. He, had three, he and his wife had three children, mm -hmm. and they had been amicable enough except her parents hired a lawyer for her and the lawyer made this into a controversy so the on the fifth time that he went to court just to get a parenting plan mm -hmm. uh, he was so exhausted with four continuances can you imagine what your life is like let's say you have a job you have a three-month-old baby uh, and you go to court for your case after having the anxiety and a sleepless night, and it's continued. So you have to go through that another time. Suppose you have to take off time from work, you know, five times just to get a parenting plan in place. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so the fifth time he sort of gave up and took what the judge handed out. And I said, don't worry, Juan, there's always the trial. And he says, what, you mean there's more? <laughs> 
And then you go through the same process with the trial. Mm -hmm. uh, or another thing is that the courts have so many cases that that I counted up one time the hours that a judge has and the cases that he had on his calendar. And it was like, um, at the maximum, 18 minutes per case. Well, so that's where the continuances come in. The judge doesn't have time to deal with all of that. Or the judge will say to the lawyers, well, tell me, counsel, what's this all about? Lawyer one says, blah, blah, blah. Lawyer two says, blah, blah, blah. And the judge says, well, if you were to put it on, in other words, give evidence, I'd probably decide blah, blah, blah. So go out in the hallway and write it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I had one woman that I helped do an appeal mm -hmm. one time a little bit. And she went through that. Her lawyer and her husband and the, and the husband's lawyer went in the conference room, left her in the hallway. They wrote up an agreement, and, the hus and the, her lawyer says, here, sign. And it required her to refinance the house. And she said, I can't do that. You know, I can't afford those kinds of payments. And the lawyer says, look, it's 4 o'clock. The court is closing, and just sign it. And she was coerced into signing it. And so she was compelled to to uh, refinance the house. The lawyer for his attorney's fees had a lien on the house, mm -hmm. so he got $11,000 off the top, and then he quit her case. And she ultimately lost the house. Wow. So, you know, it's, it, 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 it's not a fair process. Mm -hmm. And so um, People think when you go when you sign up for a legal process, you're going to have your day in court, and you don't in family law, which is especially cruel because it's so hard on children. There's one judge, uh, Judge Bells, that gave a talk to the family law bar, and he gave a talk to the probate bar, which does guardianships of children, mm -hmm. and he told about the the psychological harm to young children. Uh, that stress at an early age can cause permanent brain damage and can inhibit a child's growth. So he was advocating that we lawyers should, should take care to not cause people stress. Well, that's not possible. That's wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I can tell you, everybody agrees that the process is terrible and causes harm, and nobody will do a thing to change it. So anyway, it just. <laughs> so that's why you want to overthrow the entire family law. Right, system. let's make it a reasonable process. Mm -hmm. and, and what would that look like? Uh, I said people would, would if you go to uh, an office where it's full service family law service, mm -hmm. you know, and you want to sign up to get a divorce, the first thing that will be determined is do you have children? Okay, if you have children, do you already have a parenting plan? No, you don't? Okay, here's our mediation department, and you guys come in here and work out a parenting plan, first thing. Mm -hmm. And then, um, do you have property? Do you know the values of everything? Do you need help to establish values? Okay, we have appraisers mm -hmm. on staff that, you know, you'll have to pay the appraisers, of course, but you only need one instead of husband hiring one and wife hiring one and then the appraisers 
uh, fight it out in court. Mm -hmm. I had a, an appraiser one time that was working for mediation clients of mine. They wanted to value their business. Mm -hmm. So they hired one appraiser so they could agree on the division of property. And this man was telling me stories of a big case that he had where his fees amounted to $100,000. And he says, but that was, he didn't do the main part of the work. The husband's lawyer actually did the main work and his fees were $300,000. So it's so so in my process you would initiate divorce with kind of I would call it a triage process. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you need to help you divide up your property and have parenting plans and figure out what kind of support is needed for the kids or for the spouse who was a stay-at-home mm -hmm. parent. Oh, that's another thing, Arush, you could think of in your in your premarital plan. If one person, if you have kids, is going to stay home to take care of the kids, then how will you compensate that person for being out of the workforce for a period of time? Right. And and then if if community money is spent on on uh, books and fees and tuition, uh, should it come to that, how will the community be compensated? for this education that one person will take away from the marriage. So you are currently working on a personal history and a history of Fullerton. So what yes. can we expect from those works? Um, my history of Fullerton is more of a personal history too. Mm -hmm. I've been here in Fullerton since 1965. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow I got involved in political kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was because I was looking for something to do. Back in Wisconsin, I had been uh, involved with the Democratic Party. But in California, politics was bizarre. And, I mean, there was more than one Democratic Party. There was more than one Republican Party. And I knew, I could see right away you had to have a lot of money or a lot of time. So my start was I got involved with Fair Housing Council. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and then I got involved with the PTA, and we fought City Hall with a road through the regional park. And then... Uh, I got involved with some women's things, and that's how I got onto the board of directors of the Shelter for Battered Women. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then downtown, I'm living downtown, so I got involved in a lot of the downtown issues. Right. So my history would not be about old men with beards that <laughs> establish railroads. Right, it will be a holistic history of Fullerton. Yes, with, with a, a lot of work by the it. women. Right. And then my personal history, it's like, I, I, I'm a storyteller, and I figured I might as well put these stories down, mm -hmm. and then I don't have to be telling them to people. I can just say, well, if you want to know, just read the book. <laughs> <laughs> so any idea on the timeline of when we can expect these books? Um, no, I guess I need a little uh, incentive or a little somebody saying, when, when, thank you. <laughs> uh, no problem. Then we have it on no, record. Yes, you know? now it'll be sooner. Right. So who else do you think we should be interviewing on this podcast? Oh, definitely Jane Reifer. Jane mm. Reifer knows so much history of Fullerton. I mean, she knows the historic buildings. Mm -hmm. And she knows what became of some of them. And more, and even especially, she knows the murals of Fullerton. Mm -hmm. Once for a birthday party I had where my whole family came from all over the world. I got two kids in Germany and one in South America. Anyway, so they were all here, and one of the things we did is Jane gave us a mural tour. Wow. And she got us into 
the the seller of an apartment house that where there used to be a speakeasy and there's a fragment of a mural left there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she knows history of Fullerton from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, very interesting person. And then another one is Carolyn Dreif, who mm-hmm. is a Fullerton person who has taught school and lived for years in different countries. Mm -hmm. She lived in China and taught English, and she's lived in South America and taught English. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, and I don't know where else and how many languages she speaks, but her experience in living overseas for Mm -hmm. years in foreign countries, I think, would be interesting. Right. Those are great recommendations. Thank you. We'll have You're them welcome. down and uh, try our best to contact them. So thank you so much, Judith, for being on the podcast today. Oh, this was nice. Yeah, it was a great interview. And I think your thank handbook you. is one of the most useful resources for any couples who are good, going to get good. married. Um, so thank you again for your time, your knowledge and your experience. And You're I'm welcome. going to be looking forward to those two books. Oh, well, then can I do another podcast? Sure. <laughs> Every Thanks. time there's another release, okay. we'll do another All podcast. Right. All right. One for each book. Thank you. Mm-hmm. No problem. Bye. Bye. Alrighty, that is the end of today's podcast. Fullertonians, thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Fulton Observer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to keep up with the latest Fullerton news. Full-length stories of all our headlines are available on the Fulton Observer website, or you can subscribe to the print edition that gets mailed to your home every two weeks. You can now also see what events are happening in Fullerton with Jesse Latour's new weekly articles that cover upcoming events in our community. This podcast is curated entirely by college student interns. If you would like to support our college journey, please donate at the Fulton Observer's website. If you would like to sponsor this podcast, email ads at FultonObserver.com. If you have any ideas for whom we should interview next, email contact at FultonObserver.com or DM us on social media. Special thanks to Judith Kalusni for her time, Jackson Henry edited the podcast, Bianca Bravo manages communications, and I'm Marush Navid, your host.